Well, it is good to be with you this morning. I apologize. I was a little tied up this morning. Didn't get a chance to... Normally, I try to mingle in through the crowd and say hello to everyone. I wasn't able to do that this morning. I apologize for that. Very uh, Hatcher's fault all the way. I tell you, it was enjoyable having Melanie with us last night. Thank you, Melanie, for coming and being with us. She did bring Barry with her. You know, with every rose you have a thorn. So that's just part of it. I have to uh, return some heartache to Barry after all that he's done to me over the years. And uh, I was in Indonesia with him on one occasion. We were eating at a sister's house, and that's where I got my first introduction to fish ball soup and my last. Yeah. And he was laughing all the way. We pulled up beside the but uh, beside the street, and of course, all along the highways, you have the little fruit stand type things, and uh, they have a fruit there called durian, and they stack it up like cannonballs. So it's a big pyramid, and and he pulled up, and I, we were probably ten feet from it, and he rolled my window down, and the smell alone is enough to make you sick. And he laughed and stopped, made it so I couldn't roll my window up, and just sat there. So. Uh, that's what I've had to deal with with him. One thing that, that Barry did not mention this morning in his presentation, of course he did not have time, was one of the results of what they're doing in Indonesia. As a result of teaching this, this concept of, of self-discovery through the fishers of men and the technique of someone coming to the understanding of what the gospel is, and then from that, continuing that and allowing that to... Uh, grow and go to the next person. I was fortunate enough the last time I was there to preach in a congregation in Jakarta that was started in Barry and Melanie's home. And now it is just a, a, a big congregation. They had to expand their meeting place since I was there the last time, a few years ago. But what that congregation has done, they, they uh, hired a, a young man as the youth minister and they sent him as a missionary back to the island of Bali. They sent a missionary. He didn't come from the states. Or the states didn't send him. The states aren't supporting him. That congregation is uh, began to support him in that effort. And now he supports himself as a missionary to Bali. Now that's what happened when we learn to be true evangelists. And so we appreciate that. And uh, Barry didn't have an opportunity to, uh, to tell that, but I thought that was very important. This morning we want to talk a little bit about inviting people into our homes. We need to be careful who we invite. There's a fable that is told of a woman walking outside of her house one morning and she saw three old men with real long white beards sitting on the curb and she walked up to them. She said, I don't recognize you, but you look hungry. Why don't you come on in and I will give you something to eat. And in unison, the men asked her, said, is the man of the house in? Is your husband home? She said, no, he's not home right now. He's out. They said, in unison, well, we cannot come in. And so they sat there and in the evening her husband came home and she told him 
uh, of the experience, and the three men were still sitting out in front of the house, and she said, well, go out, or he said, go out and tell them that I'm home to come on in, and we will feed them something to eat. So she went out, and she invited the men together uh, to come in and eat, and in unison, again, they said that we very rarely go into a home together. And that was kind of confusing to her. And then one of the men explained, he said, My name is love, his name is wealth, and and his name is success. And so invite one of us, choose one of us to come in. And in fact, go in and speak with your husband about it. And the two of you talk and determine which one of us you want to come in. So she went in and told her husband what had happened. And so he began to rejoice and he said, Well, go out and invite wealth in. We've been waiting for this our whole lives. Well, she disagreed. She said, now wait a minute, let's think about this. Let's, let's invite success in because with success comes wealth normally. Well, all the while they were having this discussion, their daughter was listening. And so she comes downstairs and she says, why don't you invite love in? After all, if you invite love in, then our home will be full of love and there's not a whole lot more we can ask. Than that. And she's a young girl. And so they listened to her words and, and they saw the wisdom in what she said and, and they agreed, let's invite love into our home. So the lady walks out and she tells the three men, okay, love, we're going to invite you in. Come in and eat. And he stood up. But when he stood up, the other two stood up and began to follow him, follow him in. And she stopped and she said, wait a minute. I only invited love in so why is everyone coming well the old men replied again together in unison he said if you had invited wealth the other two of us would have simply sat outside but since you invited love normally wealth and success follows that and so we're all going to go in So always remember, we love first, and then if God blesses us, we may have some wealth and some success in this life. So as we look at that fable, I believe that can remind us of the Jews. They rejected the love of Christ for wealth and success. That's what the parable is about. They weren't interested. They were interested in what they deemed as more important. And because of that, God said that He would reject physical Israel and He would give His kingdom to someone else. And, it, and we read that in the parable. And of course, anytime we, we hear the word parable or we think of a parable, we obviously always think of the, the Christ. Because no one ever spoke a parable in the same way that He did or was successful in the same way that he was. And still today, no one can use a parable quite like the master teacher. Now during his preaching, he would often incorporate the parable. He did it for several reasons. He did it to as just simply a teaching tool. He did it to hide the truth from those who were not interested in the truth, but made it very apparent to those who were interested. But the use of a parable is very unique in that it takes something we're very unfamiliar with 
and explains it in relation to something that we are very familiar with. In fact, the word parable is not a translation, it's a transliteration. Meaning they took the Greek word, they simply added an English ending to it, much like they did baptize. And so what we have here with this word parable, it's actually two words combined. You have the word para, which means beside. You have the word balo, which means to throw or to cast. So what we're doing, we're, we're taking something that is unfamiliar and then we're taking something that is familiar and casting it beside it to compare. And so then it becomes a little more clear and it's a little easier to understand when we do that comparison. And that's what the Lord did. And He was a master at that. Now, unlike the fable that we, we just heard, a parable is different. A parable is something that did happen or something that could happen. Okay? It wasn't a fable. It wasn't a myth. And every time I think of a parable, I think of the, the parable of the sower. And I can see in my mind as Christ is teaching that, I see a, a sower behind him in a field with his sling on, carrying the seed. And as the Lord is teaching that parable, he's casting the seed. So it's something that either did happen or it could happen. It was something they were very familiar with in their culture. And so when we, when we look at this, the parable in our text that Jesus taught, we have to understand something. He's coming to the very end of His life. In fact, this parable is taught within the last week of His life. So He's trying to get a message across. He is in emergency mode, so to speak, and the people should have been, but they weren't. In these happenings of the event described for us in our passage occurred likely on Tuesday before his death on Friday. So he's days away from giving his life. He's standing, as it were, in the very shadow of the cross. And boy, what a, what a difference a few days can make. The, the previous Sunday, we know that as the triumphal Entry into Jerusalem. He was riding on the donkey. They were throwing down the palm leaves in front of him, crying out, Hosanna! Crying out to the Son of David. And now what we see is in just a few days from this point, instead of crying out, Hosanna, Son of David, they're going to be crying out to crucify this very man that's standing in front of us, murder him get him out of, our, uh, out of our lives altogether. Now Matthew uh, wrote this, Matthew 21, beginning with verse 8. He said, And a very great multitude spread their garments in the way. Others cut down branches from the trees and strawed them in the way. And the multitudes that went before and, and that followed cried, saying, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. And then, of course, not too long after that, they're saying, Crucify this man. We'd rather have the murderer and the, and the seditionist and the traitor release him and murder the innocent man. I want us to notice the people of this parable as well so we can better understand exactly what the Lord's getting across to us. The king's son obviously represents 
the Christ. Those who refused the invitation, those are the Jews of Jesus' day. The servants going forth and inviting people are those disciples of Christ. That would have been people like John the Immerser, the apostles, uh, people like that. And I'll tell you, there is an application for that today for us as well. We need to be going and extending this invitation. But see, we need to be careful who we invite, right? Who are we going to invite? We're going to invite the lost of the world. We're not going to invite the sin of the world because I have my priorities not in order. But at any rate, those people going out, the servants are those prophets of the New Testament. The last servants mentioned are the spiritual beings who will carry out God's judgment on those who refuse the invitation. And so when we break it down, we can understand a little better. Of course, those who did receive the invitation and accept it, those are the Gentiles, and thankfully for us, that invitation was extended. The one expelled from the feast, he represents all who accepted the invitation but did not properly prepare themselves to remain in the feast. There's a lot of application there in a whole lot of different ways. Now this parable is a lesson on the coming church, but it is also a lesson for us today in a lot of areas of which we need to become familiar. It teaches us that we are responsible for the continuing extension of the invitation. It teaches us that we have to remain diligent, that we are what we need to be and that we are prepared to accept the invitation and that we remain prepared to accept the invitation. We have to always endure to the end. That's a big application for us today. And we have to remain vigilant on who we invite into our homes and into our lives because those invitations might cost us our salvation. What if the lady in our, in our fable at the beginning of the sermon had simply invited wealth or success? That would have been the wrong invitation, right? See, we have to be diligent on who we invite. And all of this application as we look at this parable, begins with a request. Now just as any parable is spoken, and those listening would understand the background to the parable, they would understand the familiar as the Lord or whoever was speaking the parable spoke to the unfamiliar. And of course what he is talking about was the customary practice of the day regarding a wedding feast. A wedding feast in that time, in that culture, and I don't know that it's changed much today, an invitation was extended a great period of time prior to the actual event. Now, here's something that's just a little bit different. Not only did they extend the invitation well in advance of the event, they would always come back through and and send a second invitation. A second invitation. Now, I'm not sure exactly why they do that. Uh, Some scholars have suggested that a lack of reliable timepieces was the reason for that. I can see that. It wasn't as if they had wristwatches or convenient calendars necessarily. 
but the second invitation would come. And so, when we see this idea of the first invitation, we're understanding the prophets of the Old Testament. When the second invitation comes, we're understanding the prophets of the New Testament. And the prophets always paved the way for Christ to come into the world. And from the very beginning, God would call people to Him and He would do it through these methods. He began, uh, we see with uh, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, but He called to Adam, didn't He? He called to Job, He called to Noah, He called all of these great men that we read about in the Old Testament. But specifically and particularly, when it comes to the promise, and we understand what the promise is, the promise of the Messiah, the Christ coming into the world, He began with Abraham. And He went on down and He went through His children. And Moses records for us, And in thy seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed, because thou hast obeyed my voice. Genesis 22, 18. Now, the Holy Spirit, using the pen of Paul, He allowed us to understand, and He identified that as the blessing of Christ. Galatians 3, 16. Now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made, he saith not, and to seeds as of many, but as of one. And to thy seed, which is Christ. Now that same promise, repeated to Isaac, repeated to Jacob, uh, told to David, all the great men and women that we read about in the Bible who were faithful Jews, they understood what the promise was and it was continually repeated. See, that's something that's very important about God's message. It has to be repeated. When we look in Deuteronomy, we look in Joshua, where where God is speaking to those men who were leading Israel, do you remember one of the common things that He always told them and instructed them? Teach it to your children. Teach it to others around you. The message has to continue because once the message stops, well now we're knee deep in the book of Judges, right? We've got a generation now that has totally forgotten about God Not that they didn't know about God, but they just simply forgot about Him, pushed Him out of their minds because the message was not repeated. Now, for more than a thousand years, God had been extending this invitation by the prophets of old. Again, let's look at Moses' prophecy. Deuteronomy 18, 15, The Lord thy God will raise up unto thee a prophet from the midst of thee, of thy brethren, like unto me, and unto him ye shall hearken. He went on to say in verses 18 and 19 of that same chapter, he said, I will raise them up a prophet from among their brethren, like unto me. I'll put my words in his mouth. And he shall speak unto them all that I shall command him. And it shall come to pass that whosoever will not hearken unto my words, which he shall speak in my name, I will require it of him. God has always called his people. He's always called the people of the world. We have to understand how He does that, right? 2 Thessalonians 2.14, He does it through the gospel today. He's always done it through His Word. Particularly, He does it to us today through the Bible. There's no voice in the middle of the night. There's no latter-day revelation. There's none of that. It's all in the New Testament today for us, and He continues to call. He calls us through His gospel. And so we've got to spread that gospel. That's the invitation, right? That's the invitation. Let's invite the lost of the world 
to learn more about Christ and not invite the sin of the world into our lives. However, upon receiving the second invitation, the Jews resisted. They resisted. They weren't not interested. They didn't want to hear it. In fact, their resistance came in the form of animosity, didn't it? They hated the Christ. They hated the followers of the Christ. They didn't like that. Why? It was cutting in on their action, so to speak, wasn't it? It was taking the focus off of them. They were losing or they felt like they would lose their grasp on the power that they wielded over the people. And so they resisted and their animosity is seen. The very first, second invitation came by the mouth of John the Baptizer. John the Baptizer. A lot of the common people listened to him, they believed him, they obeyed what he talked about, but the Jews, the hierarchy, the leaders, the chief priests, they rejected John. They rejected the apostles. They didn't want to hear it. And you know something else? They didn't even give a reason for that. They, gave, they didn't even give an excuse. They just simply rejected Him. Why were they not watching for the one who would prepare the way? Have you ever thought of that? I think of that all the time when I, when I read about John the Immerser coming onto the scene and he begins to preach the kingdom is at hand and all of the signs that were following him and they've got the old law. They've got the prophecies. They talk about that one that would come that would make straight the way for the Messiah. And they were seeing it unfold in their very eyes, and they simply didn't care, and they weren't paying attention. Isaiah said, The voice of him that crieth in the wilderness, Prepare ye the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. And we see in Mark 1, 2 through 4 that he applies that to uh, John. And then we get over into Mark 3, verse 2, and we see him extending that second invitation of repent you for the kingdom of God is at hand. We see the Lord Himself, Mark eleven fourteen, 14, reciting that same thing, extending Himself that second invitation. But rather than accepting John, rather than accepting him, they accused him of being a devil. And you know what they simply did to the Christ was they just killed him, didn't they? It wasn't that they just rejected him. They murdered him. They hated him so badly, the animosity was so great that it brought about an admonition from the judge. They were going to answer for that. We go back to Deuteronomy. Those who refuse to hear, I'll require it of him. They'll answer. They're going to have to give an account of why they rejected the Messiah. Strongly rebuking those who had rejected John, Jesus made a statement, Luke 7, beginning with verse 26. He said, But what went ye out for to see? A prophet? Why would you go out? Why did you go out to the Jordan where John was baptizing people? Did you go out looking for a prophet? Yea, I say unto you, and much more than a prophet. This is he of whom it is written. And then he quotes. He quotes from the old law. He quotes from Isaiah. This is the one preparing the way. You went out to see a prophet. Well, look, guess what? There was a prophet, but greater than a prophet. 
He was the one that was preparing the way for the Son of God. He was the second invitation. He was the one saying, now it's closer at hand. Don't forget the wedding feast. But you rejected Him. You see, but the people and the publicans, the sinners, those people that the Pharisees and the the leaders, the ones that they looked down upon, they accepted the invitation. But the, the Jews didn't. That was the last time. I think this is interesting. That Jesus rebuked the Jews for their treatment and rejection of God's message. That was it. That was the last time. He didn't do it anymore. I think that's an example to all of us. God will rebuke, He will chasten, He will encourage, He'll do all of that. But when a person or a people become so hardened because of sin, He will simply allow them to do what they want to do and turn them over. And we read of that in Romans chapter 1, beginning verse 22. Now we understand the request. We see how it was resisted by the Jews. And that led to Israel being rejected. They brought it upon themselves, didn't they? They had every opportunity, every warning. And because of that, God disowned them as a physical nation. He turned it over to someone else. Do you remember when Jesus entered into Jerusalem and He went into the temple and He cleansed that temple? Matthew 21, 13, it is written. Now notice the words here. It is written, My house shall be called a house of prayer. But ye have made it a den of thieves. At that point he called it my house, indicating that God still recognized the temple, that his presence was still there, that the people were still a part of his religion, and that he was using that system to reach out for the second invitation, ushering in the the Christian age. And he still honored the idea of the Jewish people being his people. But when we get over to Matthew 23... Verse 38, notice what Jesus finally said. He said, Behold, your house is left unto you desolate. No longer my house. Now it's your house. You know, how often have we heard, I can remember growing up and doing something that, that my dad thought was absolutely one of the stupidest things he'd ever seen in his life. Now that happened on a lot of occasions. And I would come to him and I would be looking for a way out of that situation and I would mention it to him and he would say, Hey, you made the bed, lay in it. It's your bed. You made it. You chose. See, no longer was the temple my house, now it's your house. It's your house. You take responsibility for your house. I'm not a part of it any longer. God rejected the Jews and he vacated the temple. He left. Now it's just a building. Now it's just a building waiting to be torn down. He also prophesied this, Matthew 21, beginning with 42. Did you never read in the Scripture? You know, how often have we read about Jesus saying, Have you not read? What does that mean? What's he getting at? He's saying it is so simple. Did you never read it? Did you never read what I said? Did you never read what I prophesied? 
Did you never read how I led the prophets to make this statement or that statement? You've completely over... Have you never read? Have you never read in the Scripture the stone which the builders rejected? The same is become the head of the corner. This is the Lord's doing, and it's marvelous in our eyes. Therefore say I unto you, the kingdom of God shall be taken from you and given to a nation bringing forth the fruits thereof. Did you never read that the one you rejected was made the head? It's right before your eyes. It's amazing that you didn't see it. Jesus distinctly warned, Jews, you've lost your kingdom. Let me introduce you to the Gentiles. He disowned the nation and He destroyed their ability to worship. What better way could the Lord have demonstrated His disapproval than to allow the nation that rejected Him for Him to reject them and destroy that wonderful, precious temple of theirs and make it impossible to even begin to worship in that system any longer. It's over. There's not a person alive today claiming to be a Jew that can prove to you that he or she is a Jew. They can't tell you from what tribe they came, if if there are any Jews left in the world. I don't know if there are or not. We have a political nation of Israel, ally of the United States. But when we're talking about spiritual The bloodline going all the way back to Abraham, I don't know if there are any of those people in existence today or not. We can't determine that. And they certainly can't determine it. And because of that, they can't even worship according to God's laws. He destroyed their beloved temple. In the parable, the king was infuriated, right? He was infuriated and his response was go punish them. Bring punishment to those people. He sent forth his armies. He destroyed the murderers. And you know what? About 40 years after this parable was spoken, Titus marched right into Jerusalem and he sacked the city and completely destroyed the temple. It was over at that point. It ended the Jewish system of religion. God was finished with Israel as his chosen people. But now the good news is this. He still had a spiritual Israel. He still had a kingdom Remember, that was the second invitation. Repent, the kingdom is at hand. The physical nation was gone. But the rejection of God's second invitation brought about His final rebuke. We even hear it in the invitation, don't we? Given to the Gentiles. Notice what He said, Matthew 22, beginning with verse 8. Then saith He to the servants, The wedding is ready, but they which were bidden were not worthy. Who's He talking about? the Jews. Why weren't they worthy? Because they didn't care. They didn't want to accept the invitation. So now, go ye therefore into the highways, and as many as ye shall find, bid to the marriage. Go ye! That sounds familiar, doesn't it? We see it in Matthew 28. Go ye. Someone has to go. Someone has to go. And a lot of times, going is uncomfortable. Going is uncomfortable. Uh, You know, in our day and age, most people don't want to hear a knock on the door. I can understand that. And I'll I'll be honest with you. I'm not too keen on it myself. Hearing a knock on the door. I don't know. I'm thinking, who is that? What do they want? 
But you know what? That's an opportunity in itself, isn't it? Someone comes knocking on the door. I can recall years and years ago, you know, there's certain denominations in the world that are very evangelistically minded for their doctrine. I'd hear a knock on the door and I'd look out and I'd say, Oh, no, not them again. What should I have been doing? I should have been opening the door and say, Come on in. Come on in. What do you want to talk about? And now let's talk about God. My wife was telling me on one occasion, someone, and I don't recall the complete details about it, someone, a member of of a particular denomination, knocked on a door and and the person inside said, we're not interested, we've got the truth. And, And the lady said, well then why aren't you knocking on my door? You got the truth, why aren't you knocking on my door? Because it's uncomfortable to knock on doors. Well, let me tell you what's more uncomfortable than that. Eternity in hell is a lot more uncomfortable than knocking on a door, isn't it? A lot more uncomfortable. What a blessing for all people to have the same opportunity to come to God through Jesus. We see... The invitation being sent out. We see the go ye, Matthew 28, 20. We see the blessing of coming to God by Jesus, John 14. It's a great blessing, but we have to access that blessing. We have to tell others about it. But God didn't just rebuke the Jews. He also rebuked the Gentiles. That's something very important that we need to remember that that maybe sometimes I've just simply overlooked. He rebuked the, the Gentile. He imprisoned one of them, didn't He? There was a man there, and this visitation of imprisonment represents the judgment. The king sees a man, he says, he has, he said, friend, why are you here and you're not prepared? Why do you not have a wedding garment on? He got in, he received the invitation, he accepted the invitation, but he wasn't prepared to stay at the feast. I've overlooked that. The person was deemed unworthy. Might as well not have even accepted the invitation. He wasn't any more... The the ones who had refused the invitation were no more unworthy than he was. They were unworthy the same. But he asked him, he said, Friend, and do you see the the love in that? Do you see the love in, in the statement followed by the punishment? He didn't start talking ugly to him. He said, friend. It's almost as if he's trying to beg him, rethink what you're doing. You know what he heard in response? Nothing. Silence. He wasn't prepared to stay there and he didn't even care about it because he didn't have anything prepared. He didn't even have a response. He knew the proper clothing. Remember, it's a parable, right? He knew what to wear. He chose not to wear it. Great consequences come with our decisions. And great consequences come with who we invite. Are we going to invite the lost to Christ? Are we going to remain steadfast? Are we going to invite the sins of the world? The point is this. Just because you've been invited, and just because you accept, doesn't mean that you can just come as you are. There are rules and regulations God's handed down. I don't know why the world is so against God having a rule, God having a law. 
Why is that a problem? Everything else in this life has rules and laws attached to it. But for some reason, the world looks at God and they say, well, all we have to do is just believe in Him. That doesn't even begin to make sense to me. The Creator of the world will allow people just to do whatever they want to do. How many of us who have created families in this life just allow that family to do whatever they want to do? Steal, rob, and pillage. Lie. Come and go as you please. How many of us allow our children to do that? I've never allowed my children to do that. Now some may, but they don't love their children. If you allow a child to sleep on the street half a night, if that's what he wants, you're not loving that child. If you require something, you set parameters, we love that child and that child understands that. So why do we believe God wouldn't be that way? just doesn't make sense. There are certain requirements for entrance and there are certain requirements for remaining there. We have to keep that in mind. We learn that. And we have to apply that to the entrance into the church. The requirements, and we know what those are. Faith. Hebrews eleven six, repentance, Acts three nineteen, confession, Romans ten, ten, immersion in water, so we can be saved, first Peter three twenty one. It's not the only step that saves us, but without it we won't be saved. Just the same without faith we won't be saved. And then enduring, now that's the requirement for remaining, right? Have the proper clothes on. Be dressed properly. Paul talked about that in Ephesians 5. We have to endure. Jesus said, He that endured to the end will be saved, Matthew 10, 22. So when we look at this parable, what an amazing statement. What a, a, an amazing method that Jesus used in training people to be ready, in training people to invite, in training people to be careful who we invite. We need to invite the lost, not the sin, right? And we need to be able to differentiate that. We do not participate in ungodly lifestyles, but we have to interact in a godly way with those who do. Jesus ate with publicans and sinners. He didn't promote their lifestyle. He didn't say it was okay, but He still interacted, and He brought them and He invited them. He didn't invite the sin of the world. He invited the sinner to change His way. And that's our responsibility. We talked about that in class this morning, Brother Barry did, and I thought he did a wonderful job. Appreciate him for doing that, he and his wife. If you've never obeyed the gospel, you haven't accepted the invitation, accept the invitation. Meet the requirements. But once you accept the invitation and the requirements are met, remain steadfast. Meet the requirements for staying. And that's faithfulness to God. If you need to answer this Lord's invitation at this time in any way, let that be known as we stand and as we sing.